Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for sending your Son to be the one who was to come and the one who will come again. Lord, as we gather around your word this day, we would ask that you break it small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. Christmas is right around the corner. We have one more Advent candle to light before we light the Christ candle on Christmas. This is indeed a season of preparation. I would invite you this morning to turn to our gospel lesson. If you have brought your Bible along with you to Luke chapter 7, beginning in the 18th verse. A little bit of context as we begin. By this point in the narrative of Jesus' life, John the Baptist has been imprisoned because King Herod's wife did not like the things that he was speaking against the two of them. And in fact, John does not leave prison alive again. And I say that to say this. As John is sending these two men to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or shall we look for another? It's worth noting that in chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel, John was present there for Jesus' baptism as his cousin comes to the Jordan when he comes out of the water and the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove and God the Father speaks and says, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And yet... He relies on the sight of others to confirm that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. But it begs the question that we should all begin with, who are we looking for? And how do we seek if we do not know what is to be found? The people of God had been given a road map of what to look for in the coming Messiah. And these are the same texts that we often pull from for our Christmas readings. And yet when he arrives, there is still a large question of whether or not he is indeed the guy or if they should be looking for someone else. Our hesitation to get our hopes up, 
speaks to how truly broken we are and how deeply in need we are of a Savior. The best news in the world. And we're afraid that it's too good to be true. One of the congregations that I served with in Colorado, after a few months of having the elders assist with communion, one of them pulled me off to the side and said, Pastor, are we doing something wrong? I said, no, why would you even ask that? And they said, because after we've communed everybody and we go back to the altar and we commune one another. He says, as I speak the blessing, you look me right in the eyes and you smile and it freaks me out. (laughs) And I said, how can you not want to? It's the best news I've ever heard in my life. How can you not help but smile and receive it with joy? The arrival of Jesus changes everything. John sends these two disciples to ask, are you the one or should we be looking for another? Seeing is not always believing. Believing is seeing. And as much as I would like to take credit for such an awesome quote, it's actually one that's used in several different Christmas movies that you might see on TV this season. Judy the Elf says it in the Santa Claus with Tim Allen, and Tom Hanks says it as the conductor in Polar Express. We live in a culture that will go to great lengths to defend the mystery of Christmas in the person of Santa Claus. We culturally accept Santa Claus And yet we critically reduce the believability of Jesus Christ. And as a side note, for the doubters, Santa, St. Nicholas, is a real guy. And actually, he goes as far back as defending the church against the heresy of Arianism. Real dude, and really worth looking into. Without Christ, Santa Claus, Saint Nicholas ceases to exist. But the difference is the stakes 
are higher when we believe and defend Jesus as the Son of God, come as the Messiah, than they are with Santa. But for the people of God, the waiting and the searching are over. That was their identity. To be the ones who waited for the coming Messiah, the one who would liberate them from their oppressors, the one that would grant them true freedom and establish the reign of his kingdom on earth with the house of David would reign forever. And we look, and time and time and time again, the people of God can point to things where he fulfilled his promise in the short term, and they go, yeah, that was it. And you can almost hear God go, wait, there's more. And John sends these two men and asks, are you the one? Or should we be looking for another? You see, the true king comes to claim his kingdom away from the abuses of these self-righteous stewards that we hear about in our gospel text for today. These Pharisees and experts in the law who rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Arthur Just, the author of the Concordia Commentary on Luke, writes it this way and says it well. In the first advent, Jesus reveals himself primarily as a Messiah of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness and not one of vengeance. He has come to serve, to seek, and to save. His ministry now is not to execute judgment, but to absorb God's eschatological wrath. That's your $100,000 word that we talked about a couple weeks ago that means end times. That day of judgment where without Christ we would stand before God and we would be held accountable for every ounce of sin that we bear all the way back to original sin with Adam and Eve. But instead, Jesus comes as the Messiah and he takes that wrath upon himself, bears that weight upon his shoulders and carries it so that we have to no more. But before Jesus answers these men with words, he shows them the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues, and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. All of these things in the Old Testament, where God said, when the Messiah comes, this is what it's going to look like. 
And Jesus goes in that hour, check that box, check that box, check that box. And oh, by the way, he says, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news, preach to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The arrival of the Messiah means the identity of a people in waiting changes. The people of God are actually and fundamentally different when they cease to be in the waiting stage in a holding pattern and are now called to be a people who follow in response. And this challenges every ounce of their security. You mean I got to set aside those things that I held sacred? You mean I shouldn't take the seat of honor in the banquet? You mean I should sell all I have and give to the poor? You mean I should love my neighbor as myself? You mean I should forgive my brother? 70 times 7? You mean I should rejoice in suffering? You mean I should take up my cross and follow you? The one who has come and who is yet to come again. The first coming of Christ was a reclamation of his kingdom. And the cure for our original inherited sin from Adam and Eve. We can't treat the symptoms of sin without first addressing it as a disease. And so as people who celebrate the first Advent and look forward to the second, we look forward to the full restoration of his kingdom in his second coming. But we no longer wait in anxiety as the folks of old in ancient days. But rather we wait in hope and peace and joy because the hope that we have comes from the claim that he has upon us in the gift of our baptism that we bear his identity before God and no longer our own and so we strive to extend this hope to others Go back and report. 
Report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, and blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So that God always gets the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.